Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today's topic comes from an email I got. I was actually trying to find it and I can't find it. So I don't know if someone messaged me or emailed me, but she asked me if I could cover this topic in an episode. I wanted to read her email, but I couldn't find it because she has a child who I think was six and is really struggling with her anxiety or OCD. I can't remember because I can't find the email. And she wanted to talk about the grieving process, you know, that, that she's really grieving for what her child was supposed to be in her mind and for the childhood that she feels like she's kind of missing the snuggles and the things that she kind of fantasized about or envisioned when she was becoming a parent. So I thought that was a really good topic because most of us, no matter how old our kids are, even if they're teenagers or even young adults, have a grieving process of what is and what we thought would be. And that's not just for people who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. It's for any parent who is dealing with a struggle with their child and it's not what they signed up for. It's not how they envisioned it. And I want to go through that. I want to talk about the grieving process that comes with raising a child with anxiety or OCD, whether your child is newly diagnosed not formally diagnosed, but is starting to show all those struggles. Or if you've been in this for a while, because as I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking, you know, on some level, that grieving process doesn't end. And we'll talk about it in a positive way in a minute, but every new developmental stage or every milestone, you might be grieving for what you anticipated that to be and what it actually is. And that doesn't mean that you're continually grieving. It just means that when you hit a bump or your child is doing something or struggling with something that you had a different vision for, like you imagine that this moment in time or this stage in development was going to look this way. And it's actually looking that way. That could be a high school student who's really struggling to get to school, or it could be your preschooler who isn't able to function. So We're going to get all into that. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some ways to cope with that, some ways to move forward, some ways to not get stuck, but also some permission to feel your feelings. So, and I'll talk about my own experiences as well, like I always do. Before we get started though, I want you to know that you might be missing something because I like to churn out a lot of free content and I am starting my three-part video series. In fact, if you're listening to this live, on October 20th, it's already started and video two is already out. So it's three videos in this parent series that I'm doing. It's free. You can sign up. You can still sign up because you can watch these videos at any time during this series. And this series is going to be going on until probably Sunday, October 25th. So if you're listening to this before then in the the crazy year of 2020, then sign up for it. I will leave a link in the show notes, or you can text the word survival tools to the number 44222. It is a series where I go into, you know, how to, how to build a therapeutic home environment, you know, that we all have to, we, we cannot just pass the buck 
and find a therapist and then just hand them the baton and say, here you go, tag me out, (laughs) you know, like fix this problem. Even if we want to do that, we really can't. We don't even have an option because our kids just won't succeed if we don't educate ourselves on anxiety and OCD and develop a home plan on how you're going to approach it. And we can't fly by the seat of our pants with anxiety and OCD. And it's not intuitive. It is completely counterintuitive. All the things that parents need to do in order to really help their kids thrive with anxiety and OCD is going to be everything that your gut will tell you not to do. So that's why you can't wing it. And that's why parents need to be educated. And I don't think there's enough parents out there who understand that they need to be educated because I think the lack of information for anxiety and OCD and especially OCD is severely lacking. So that's why I have this free video series to, to kind of outline exactly how you would do that, what information you need to include as far as like what, what ingredients are important in creating your home so that you live the life of raising a really empowered child who happens to have anxiety or OCD. And that really kind of goes in with our topic today because, you know, that's what it's all about. I'm trying to look at the date today. So it's OCD awareness week today, but by the time you listen to this, it'll be over. (laughs) So I guess we can't give a shout out for that, but we don't need a week for us to like spread information and let other people understand what it is and what it isn't. And that's part of the grieving process that we're going to be going into today is why it is so hard for us to accept that diagnosis. And it doesn't matter whether you have a DSM diagnosis and someone has formally assessed your child, or if you just can spot it a mile away and you're like, man, I know exactly where we're headed. It's hard because of also the stereotypes and the images of what someone with anxiety or OCD looks like or what that will mean for them. So I'm going to get into that today, but don't forget to sign up for the three-part video series. Just text the word survival tools to the number 44222. Pretty sure I actually just said that, but I'm having like dementia issues here. (laughs) So I was like, did I, did I say that? I don't think I did, but I did. And that's okay. I said it again. Okay. So let's just talk about those initial feelings when you start to see those signs. Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of times grief causes blindness and metaphorically, (laughs) and we don't want to sometimes see what's staring us right in the face because it's so, it can be so upsetting, especially if you have your own struggles with anxiety or OCD and, or you have relatives that have struggled with anxiety or OCD and you've watched them struggle. We don't want to see it in our kids. And when we do some of us, not all of us, but some of us want to turn a blind eye, you know, and have a wait and see approach. Maybe this will go away. Maybe, you know, I'm just putting my own garbage on them. It's my own baggage. I'm seeing what I want to see. And sometimes we have partners who will actually say that, like, you know, you're putting your problems on your child. I I hear that a lot in my practice, but then others, you know, we, we see it and we know what it is and it's really upsetting. So it's okay to sit with that grief for a little while. I think the more we try to push bad feelings out, the more they come in. So we have to accept them and say, yeah, okay. Yeah, it does suck. This is not what I signed up for. And I know that this is going to change the way I parent. And I know that things aren't going to come as easy perhaps for my child. And that's not cool. That's not what I thought about when I had this baby in my belly and I fantasized about 
you know exactly what preschool is going to look like and exactly what we're going to have Pinterest crafts and we're going to bake cookies and we're going to, you know, sing Kumbaya and have this great life. Well, you know, that doesn't really happen to anyone. Our kids might have anxiety or OCD, but other people have their own struggles. So that has helped me with my grief is yes, recognizing the things that, that I'm kind of saddled and burdened with, but then also realizing that every parent is saddled and burdened with something. And it's important for us to not, not wallow too deeply into the victim mentality where we can't get back up because we don't want to carry that around with us for the rest of our, our child's childhood. It's like a little redundant there, but we don't want to bury it either. So it's this balancing act, right? It's saying like, yes, I'm going to allow myself to have some grief about this, but then I want to go into, you know, how to not stay in that, in that place forever and move into action because action is really going to be what will actually help your child long-term. And then, you know, you're not going to have to grieve different developmental milestones as, as you move into them because your child's going to have a really good handle on their stuff. I mean, that's the hope. There is a lot of hope around anxiety and OCD. But that doesn't mean that you don't get to have your moment, however long that may be, but not forever to grieve about what that was. So the woman that had emailed me was talking about, I believe her, her son was six and missing what she thought would be this time period, kind of feeling like she's being robbed of this period of her child's childhood, you know, that her child is in such distress all the time. And she wanted to you know, cuddle and enjoy and play. And these are like the snuggle times and the times where like your child should be like, you know, just soaking you up and you soaking them up. And her child is, you know, miserable and, and struggling with these issues. So I think that a lot of people are in that place. When my oldest child who's 16 now, actually, my gosh, she's not, she's 17. (laughs) All my kids changed their numbers this past week, except one who's changing next month. So yeah, I have a 17 year old now. That's crazy. And I did not know that I needed to grieve. I was in serious denial. And even though I was in an infant and toddler mental health program at the time, the irony is not lost. She wasn't really presenting like with classic anxiety and OCD symptoms. She was like having major sensory processing disorder issues And I did not recognize that at all because she was my first kid. And I was like, I did not know motherhood was this rough. Like I can't feed my baby. I had to feed her. Like she had to be facing away from me and she was very stiff. She had GERD and she had a lot of like gastrointestinal issues. And she was, you know, having a lot of sensory issues. Like when she was like, I'm talking about like when she was like 10, 12 weeks old and onward, like from the get go, she was a difficult baby. She couldn't latch. So it couldn't breastfeed. Then she couldn't drink formula. I mean, it was just, and it didn't get better. Like it never got better. Well, this isn't very optimistic. <laughs> Let me try to rein in my negativity. Her sensory stuff did not get better. And it wasn't until she was about three that my colleagues were like, you should probably have her assessed. And I was like, I think you guys just pathologize people too much. I was like, I don't know about this infant and toddler mental health world. Like they see everything as like a disorder or they see everything as atypical. But what I wasn't realizing is that I was raising a very atypical child. So there was a very big grief for my first kid because 
I couldn't go to a festival and put out a blanket and have my kid just sit on the blanket and eat goldfish like everybody else. She would not sit there. She would be off and running like in the opposite direction and never looking back and never coming back. And so her level of sensory um, seeking was, was exhausting and overwhelming and her intense tantrums. Okay. We won't go on about that, but I did have a big grief about feeling incompetent. And I think everybody will have a different, will have a different theme about what they're grieving. And it depends on your expectations of what were your expectations going into this. And, you know, my expectations were that I'm going to be like this phenomenal, you know, parent, because I'm so well-educated and I'm so well-trained that I can handle anything. And I couldn't. And it was like, it hit me both professionally and personally. Like, oh my gosh, I suck. I suck as a parent. I suck as a mom. I suck. Well, parent and mom are the same thing. I suck as a, I was an infant and toddler mental health clinician. And so I was going around helping other parents handle their out of control kids with anxiety and sensory issues. And I couldn't handle my own. So, um, but this podcast isn't about me. It's about you. So accepting what that grief was and what it is for you is important. Like what were, and be honest with yourself. What were your expectations? What did you think this stage of life would look like? What was your Mary Poppins vision of it? And then what's the reality? When I had my second child, he was doing really, really good. And then he got pans, pandas and pans and developed OCD and there was a grief for that. Like, you got to be kidding me because my first child didn't have OCD and that there was a major grief because it was impacting his eating. And I was worried he was going to be have you know, have a feeding tube. So, and then by my, the time my third child came and she started showing anxiety and OCD issues at a very young age, I was just exhausted. I'm like, can you not throw me a bone? Can you not give me one kid who doesn't have to be a kid slash client, <laughs> you know? But I think getting stuck in that grief for too long could be a dangerous place because then it it can create hopelessness. It can create exhaustion and you're constantly comparing. So I think it's okay to grieve, but then you want to be careful about what you're grieving for. Are you grieving for the now or are you grieving for the later? And if you're grieving for the now, that's okay. Spend some time doing that. And then dry your eyes and start being proactive about how you can help because there's a lot you can do. This is not a death sentence. It is not a God forbid, poo, poo, poo. That's a Yiddish saying. It is not a cancer diagnosis. Anxiety and OCD are highly treatable and the earlier, the better. And the long-term prognosis is good for parents who take it upon themselves to develop the skills that they need at home. Whether your child is motivated or not, whether your child is on board with getting help or not, there are so many things that a parent can do in their home environment to foster long-term success so that you don't have to grieve the later. That's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that your child is going to be debilitated like your uncle Jerry, you know, or not being able to function like grandma, ma, (laughs) grandma, ma, that doesn't make sense. Grandma, Betsy, only grieve for the now. And I know that's impossible, but you have to train your brain like we do for our kids, what we try to get our kids to do, to bring it back, bring it back in, rein it in. I have an anxious brain. You know, the apple does not fall far from the genetic tree. I have an anxiety disorder. And a lot of you who are listening have anxiety disorders um, or have OCD. And that adds, that adds the struggle because we're being triggered. 
our anxiety issues are being triggered. And then we're being asked to help our little people. And so we actually have to like sharpen our skills. Like once I became a parent, I had to actually look at myself in a way that I hadn't before. And I, I like really didn't realize the level of anxiety I had because it wasn't impacting anybody but myself. But then once my kids started having issues, that was a very full plate. And so I needed to attack my own stuff and address my own stuff so that I could be there for them in a very healthy way. So this might be triggering your own anxiety. And so we have to work on both of those. So every time I would go into the future and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, like what's kindergarten going to look like? (laughs) You know, I like every, like every stage I would project a year out, you know, oh my gosh, I don't know if she'll never be able to go to kindergarten. Like she can't even function in preschool with my oldest daughter. I don't think she'll ever eat solids. She couldn't eat solids until she was probably about three, maybe two, two or three, maybe closer to three. And it does not help to be a mental health professional because I can bring up in my head all the most dysfunctional kids that I've ever, ever worked with who had issues that my child is showing. So if my child is holding their poop, I can bring up the kids in my mind who were compacted and had to go to the hospital and um, were wearing pull-ups when they were like 15. And when my child couldn't eat, I remember this one kid that I had worked with and he was on a liquid diet and he was like 15. He had never eaten solids. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. So you're lucky you don't have my brain (laughs) because I can pull up some really scary examples. But for every scary example, there are some really, really positive examples. There are kids who have had severe issues and were able to really squash them and learn how to manage them. But anxious brains don't go for those things. We don't like say, oh my gosh, like what if I win the lottery tomorrow? Oh my gosh. Like what if like my kid is like amazing and they really crush their anxiety? Like what if that happens? No, (laughs) we only think about the worst stuff in the world. So you're going to have to manually go in there and, and recalibrate your brain and say, is this happening right now? And I've had to do this for myself, not just for my kids and their issues, but just for my own anxiety in general, I would have to say, is this happening right now? And then I'd be like, no, it's not. It's something that could happen in the future. And then I'm like, if it's a, what if, or if it's something that could happen, it's not happening. And so we're letting it go for me as a side note with my social anxiety. A lot of times it's more of what did happen. And so I use the same tactic for that. Did it already happen? Yes. I do talk a lot to myself. Um, okay, well, if it already happened, can you fix it? No, then you need to let it go. So we have to have that internal voice. And when we're talking about what will be with our kids, you know, oh my gosh, if their OCD is so bad right now, what is this going to look like at 15? Or are they going to be able to go to college? Are they, are they going to be able to marry someone? Are they going to be able to get a job? And they're like six or they're like 10, or even if they're 12 or 15, that's not happening right now. And so putting, putting some limits on that, which means that your, your brain will go there, but you have to kind of bring it back is important. The other thing I want to say is let's not discount some of the amazing things that come with our kids who have anxiety and OCD. So we can look at this doom and gloom, but it is important to one eventually accept, you know what? This is what I have. This is on my plate. It could be worse. And you can think of whatever example you want in your head that could be worse. Um, I do that with my kids. I think it could be worse. And I have a lot of examples in my head of what it could be. You know, thank goodness my kids don't have, you know, leukemia, God forbid, or, you know, something else that in my brain, from my experience working with other people who have struggled with other things, 
that would be harder for me to handle. And so then I look back and I think, okay, I got this. I can handle this. I know anxiety and OCD. We're intimate, me and anxiety and OCD. So I, I, I got this, but there are some really cool things that come with kids who have anxiety and OCD. And that is those superpowers. And I've been fortunate enough to meet thousands of kids with anxiety and OCD. So if I was collegiate, I could have done a, like a a report, I could have done a research study and looked at the character traits of kids with anxiety and OCD. And what I would have found is my guesstimate is that the majority of them have these traits in common. Most kids with anxiety and OCD, now you have your outliers for sure, but most kids with anxiety and OCD are highly kind-hearted, empathetic people. They're not only tuned in to their own emotions, but they're tuned into other people's emotions. They are the kids that can spot that boy across the room who's having a hard time because nobody's talking to him. Or they're the ones that can look at you and you're really trying to have a poker face. And they're like, mom, are you okay? What's the matter? Because they can tell because they are in tune because they care. They're considerate. Now, when they're in the throes of anxiety and OCD, they may not look like this. Um, they may look like the opposite of this, but underneath that 90% of the kids that I meet, cause there are those that there are 10% that aren't like this, but 90% of the kids I meet with anxiety and OCD are the kindest kids I have literally ever met. They are apologetic and kind and caring and considerate. And they're like the kind of friend you would always want. They are emotionally intelligent in the sense that they know how they feel. They know how other people feel. A lot of times they are actually literally intelligent. These are kids who, even if they're not academically thriving, which a lot of them actually are though, they get things quickly and they grasp concepts. So there are some really good superpowers with anxiety and OCD. These are also very creative out of the box kids who can think of things in a different way because their brain is very creative, right? What if this happens? What if like an asteroid comes and hits our car and then we can't drive and then we need to get out of here, but we don't have like a vehicle. (laughs) That same creativity that is like torturing them is also thinking, what if we, you know, invented this? Or what if I drew this? Or what if we did it this way and not that way? They're out of the box thinkers. So I always say, I wouldn't want to trade my kids with anxiety and OCD for the world because a lot of their superpowers come with the genetic makeup of, of anxiety and OCD. Like it's all together. And so it's same with me. If I could go back in time and say, okay, I don't want to have my anxiety. I I don't think I would give it away because the same stuff that makes me anxious is the stuff that makes me able to get you and understand your struggles and understand your kids' struggles and understand how to talk to you in a way that, that resonates because I understand where you're at and being able to do that is not a skill that every person has anxious people. We get it. I can tell when I'm upsetting someone like a mile away that has really harmed me (laughs) because I can tell when people aren't into me. I can tell when people are, you know, they're just trying to yes me to death, but I could tell they don't really care, you know? So there is a curse to being able to read people really well, but that also is a, an amazing superpower, especially in relationships. So focus on what is awesome about your kid we can train our brain to look at the positive. You know, it's like you can, if you're given lemons, I'd like this expression, you know, if you're given lemons, you can either, you know, sit there and suck on the sour or you can take them and you can make lemonade. So it's up to you. I don't want to suck on sour forever. Like I, life is too short. So what are the amazing things that makes your child who they are? 
And you can't separate them out from anxiety and OCD because a lot of it is actually part of the makeup of an anxious person. So what are the superpowers? And if you need to write them down, journal them, have a gratitude journal that is just about your child and write down the things that you're grateful for. It's not to say, wow, ingrate, be happy you have a kid. (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when we're having a problem and when we're spiraling too deep into the negativity, we have to kind of train our brain to focus on the flip side and gratitude journals and stuff are really helpful in general because it literally does train the brain to look at the flip side, change your perceptions. And when you do that, you're able to be present for your child in a way that you can't when you're also seeing a shadow reality of what it could be. So if you're always staring at your child and it's your child and the shadow reality of what life could have been, if they don't have anxiety and OCD, that's going to really impact your ability to parent and your ability to see your child shine because that shadow is going to take away any brightness from, from your kid. So we don't want to sit with grief too, too long because that becomes a problem. The last, well, second to last thing I'd say is don't compare yourself to the Joneses. Do people still say that? Or is that like a really antiquated thing to say, but the grass is always green on the other side. There's another one. It is so, so easy to look at your friends or to look at your relatives and be like, what the heck? Why can they do that? And I can't, how come their kids are going to sleep and they're not having to stay up for hours. And I don't get to watch Netflix and eat bonbons. Like I have to sit here and, you know, talk my child off a cliff. Right. And it's okay to be frustrated. I know sometimes we want to be so politically correct that we don't want to say that it, you know, that we get angry or frustrated or annoyed that, that all of our energy and time is being consumed by this anxiety and OCD, but get upset with the anxiety and OCD, not your child. Cause your child doesn't want this either, but it is okay to get, to have those ugly feelings. I did a whole podcast on the ugly feelings. We don't want to admit we have, well, guess what? We all have them. I have them a lot. You know, I'm thinking, gosh, why can't this be easier? And you're going to have moments like that. But again, like with grief, you don't want to sit there and stay there forever. So it is really helpful for you to try to not compare yourself to other people because one, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors and yeah, it may not be anxiety and OCD, but you just don't know what other people's albatrosses are. Everybody's got skeletons in their closet. And I know this because as a therapist, you kind of get to peek into people's closets and I've never met a family who didn't have their struggles. And well, obviously, cause I'm a therapist, but even if I met people who weren't seeking out my help, everybody's got their thing. It may not be that their kids are having an issue. Um, it might be their marriage is having an issue, or it might be they're having an issue, but no family is perfect. And so we are sometimes jealous of the outer facade of what we're seeing on social media or at like a family gathering or a friend gathering, we're seeing the surface. We're not seeing underneath the surface. And so it's good to watch your thoughts. And when you're, when you're doing that, you know, when you're staring at that little kid, who's just sitting there in the high chair, all nice and calm eating. And you're like, why won't my kid do that? Just catch those thoughts and say, well, you know what? My kid's not that kid. And that's okay. It won't come naturally, you know, reframing your thinking and catching these thoughts will feel very stilted and artificial at first, but then you get good at it. And that's really what we're going to train our kids to do as well, especially with anxiety. You know, I'm constantly training kids to reframe their thinking, you know, flip, flip it 
look at the other side, change your perspective, look at it from a different angle. Like those skills are so important. We have to do it for ourselves too. So don't get stuck in comparison because I guarantee you that, you know, the Mary Poppins picture, two Mary Poppins references in one podcast. Look at that. But what you're seeing is not what you're getting. It's not what they're getting. And so we don't want to be jealous of of a facade. You just don't know what people's struggles are. And your kid isn't the Joneses, you know, your, your child's got their own issues and they have theirs. And the last thing I want to say is it's, and I already kind of mentioned this, but I really feel like this is the way to survive anxiety and OCD is to not project and just take one issue at a time. So if your child is having a current issue with, let's say they're afraid to go to sleep or your child has an issue where they're just starting to have some OCD and you're starting to see some other OCD themes, just focus on that current issue and don't concern yourself with, oh my gosh, now what if this turns into blah, blah, blah. The more you understand anxiety and OCD, the easier it is to go down that rabbit hole. So that makes it even harder. And then the tricky part too, is on the flip side, you really need to know different anxiety and OCD themes so that you can spot them and be proactive and nip them in the bud. So there is this balancing act that we have to do as parents where we have to educate ourselves about anxiety and OCD. And I see a lot of parents not doing that because they're so overwhelmed and they don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. But the irony is that when we put our head in the sand because we want to grieve and we don't want to think about it, it's too triggering. And we don't address that grief where we accept it, move through the process, and then come out the other side with our, you know, with our cape on ready to tackle this, then our kids do struggle longer and they are more likely to have the things that we are projecting out into the future because we're not taking any proactive measures to, to make that not happen. And the thing is with anxiety and OCD, the earlier you start working on your child's struggles and teaching them to work on it, the better they get. And Sometimes when we're grieving, we're a little overzealous. I see it two different ways. I open up the podcast talking about people who are grieving and they don't want to look at it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to acknowledge it. So the longer they can kick the can down the road and pretend like it doesn't exist, the better. But you also have uh, the opposite end of the spectrum where you have parents who are overzealous and they're like, not on my watch. This isn't happening. My kid's not having this. I had this or my uncle had this or my mom had this and we're not, we're not doing this another generation. So we are going to like crush this, but then you wind up crushing your child because you're too overzealous and we have to find the middle like we have with everything else. And so you have to educate yourself. And, you know, even if you're like, I don't have time, I am exhausted. Like I don't want a degree in psychology. We don't really have a choice. And that's why you have to take care of yourself. Go see a therapist. If you need to talk to your partner or talk to your friend and like work through your grief so that then you can soak up like how anxiety and OCD shows up so that you'll know. And then you have to train your child to be their own anxiety and OCD therapist. Um, that's what I do. And that's what I did with my kids from a very young age. Like the minute they kind of popped out of my womb and I started to see signs, it's like, let's talk about Mr. Worry. You know, We're going to name this, but it ultimately it's up to them. And so they get to decide what speed they want to go at as far as working on their anxiety and OCD. And sometimes they're going to be hitting the brake instead of the gas. And that's going to be very upsetting for you, for most of us, because we're concerned about what it's going to look like down the road. 
And you can help with that by focusing on what's happening right now. Okay. You know what? My child's not eating right now and they're having issues, but they still have weight on them and I'm bringing them to the doctor for weight checks. And you know, there's other people who are keeping an eye and we just have to take this day by day. Or, you know, my child is afraid they're going to throw up and they're not wanting to go to school or go out. And our current goal is this, and we're just going to work on it day by day. So looking at one issue and one goal at a time is a really helpful way to manage your own anxiety and not just kind of spin out of control. And you don't know what the future is going to, going to bring because every time I've projected into the future, every time I've grieved for something that will be, my kids have proven me wrong. So my youngest, when she was in preschool, she has such acute social anxiety. She'd wear this little hat and she'd like cover her face and she wouldn't really talk to anyone. She'd feel nauseous on the way there. And I was like, how is she going to survive kindergarten? First day of kindergarten, I was like, um, is there like a school social worker I could talk to? <laughs> you know, like I just need to meet with the, with the school counselor, like right away. Like I was ready to, you know, like we need to develop a five of a four plan. Like things aren't going to work out. And I was really nervous to bring her and I brought her and she's like, you can go now, mommy. I'm okay. And I was like, what? You're supposed to have problems. Like I have geared up for this all summer. Like this is, this is, you know, going to be an issue. And it wasn't, she did okay. So you never know. I was really worried about my son going back to school this like last past week because he has a lot of social issues. And I was like, he doesn't know anyone. It's a new school. He can be kind of quirky. And I was like nauseous, like the first couple of days. Cause I was like, I hope he's okay. You know, but I kind of have this facade of like, it's totally fine. How's school? I'm sure you did great. And he did do good. He met a couple people. He actually has someone he's playing with at, um, at recess. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like waste of energy because it didn't happen. I was severely worried about my 17 year old. I did not know what high school is going to look like for so many different reasons and so many different struggles that she had where she didn't you know, she had major issues, uh, I would say all the way up through eighth grade. And so I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what high school is going to look like. Guess what? She's doing perfect. She's getting really good grades. She knows what she wants to do. She's a fantastic artist. She has some solid good friends. She's like not into bad things. Like she's working. She's appreciative. Like I couldn't ask for a better daughter. And she's just, she's like, a productive citizen in society. And I'm not worried about her. Um, I was so nervous about her working because I would, I would be nervous. Like at her age, I couldn't handle a cash register because my social anxiety would like was too high. Like, what if I messed up? What if I gave the wrong change? Like I couldn't handle it. And she just went into this job and like, I was like, you okay? And she's like, yeah. And she's fine. So she's doing things that I couldn't even do at her age. So my whole point in sharing that is don't project out because you don't know. It's hard to control, right? Like I can't control that, but I rein it in as it comes. And so it's this constant tug of war of, oh my gosh, what if? And then nope, nope, what's going on right now? And then you can use that too. As you make progress, you can say, remember I worried about blah, 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 and it was okay. This is the same situation. Let me back burner this and let me focus on what's going on right now. So I guess my whole point of this episode is that we have to do our own work in order to be there to help our kids. And we have to work, work with our own struggles in parenting our kids with anxiety and OCD so that we can be their, their anchor and we can be a rock. And we can't do that if we ignore our feelings, don't process them and don't continually work on them because it is a, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done. 
Yeah, I get that on a very personal note. So I hope that helps you. I know it's kind of a mess as far as how to handle grief and those difficult feelings that we have, but you're not alone. Everybody feels that way who is in the same boat. And there's a lot of us in this big boat with you. And so I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. So I hope you found this episode helpful. If you are enjoying my podcast and feeling like you're getting some support and guidance, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. And if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. That helps other people see the benefit of the show. If you want to join me and spend this next couple of days in the survival series that I'm doing, when you sign up, you will have an email link that will take you to a private Facebook group that is just for this parenting series that is going on just for the next few days. And I am doing live classes in there. I can talk to you. You can talk to me and ask questions about things that are going on with your child. And so join me. I would love to actually meet you in there and get to know you better see who you are. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 